Hey guys, welcome back to the Oasis Podcast. We're excited for another week. I am Jaina, and I am here with my good friends. My name is Ben. And Brennan. Yep, that is my name. Sweet. What's nice is that Jaina just said good friends, and you only ever say friends. I had to mix it up. I I couldn't carbon copy what Brennan says. Yeah, but I just feel like you were more sincere. I have to tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) We are work acquaintances and nothing more. When I leave this place, I don't want to hear about you guys. I don't want to talk to you guys. I don't want any no, of your Instagram yeah, yeah, memes. Fine. Fine. You guys got to stop sending me those. I'm not on my work <laughs> yeah, 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 hours it's anymore. It's fine. You should start counting those in your work hours. <laughs> Every minute you spent watching a video that Ben sent us. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. The last that's one funny. hit, though. That's so funny. I don't care. That's good. They're, good. <laughs> They're mostly jokes on myself. Yeah. 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 So. I'm me- it's me making fun of myself. Otherwise, I have officially decided I will no longer ever try to guess the number of podcasts we're on because oh, I'm like yeah. 0 for 7. Like, I can never get it right. That's fine. You even tried to correct me last time, and I was like, nope, you're wrong. <laughs> and I was straight wrong. So I got to submit to Ben's wisdom yeah. and stop trying. You know, we could just intentionally look it up before we start. That's actually, that's, that's not probably fun. the smart <laughs> that's, idea. That's not fun. This is episode number. Yeah, we're on 21. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Jana, you have a question for us, though, right? Yeah, we're going to start off today with this mixer question. Who is your favorite woman of all time? Jana, why did you have to <laughs> ask can I, me? Can I just, like, can we just say... Should we tell them what we're talking about today? They well, probably no, no, know. No, we'll get there. Yeah, that's true. If you read the title, you know what yeah. we're talking about. Can we just say, outside of people we personally know? Oh, Can we say, you. can we give that, you like, t- caveat? My wife, my mom, my mother-in-law, my sister. All right, I got those out of the way. I checked the box. <laughs> My number one favorite woman ever in the history of the world, Martha Washington. <laughs> why, Brennan? Yeah, why? Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Get out of here. All right, let's, let's be honest. So Mary is your favorite Mary in the Bible? Maybe. Or Mary Magdalene. Have you seen The Chosen? Mary's not, a beast. Not all of it. Otherwise, um, Emma Roberts. No. Emma Roberts? Emma Watson. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> which, which, one, which one do I... I don't know. I got them all confused. I'm Who's just trying Emma to lay... Emma Roberts? That's, she's an actor, right? She, yeah, I think she is. I'm pretty sure she so. is. I I mean, I don't know. Personally, I'm her, thinking... I can see the picture in my head, and I think that's her name. But don't judge... Those are my I'm favorite sorry. women, no, and you're, you're correcting right. me. I'm sorry. One of those two Emmas, and then all of the previous people with Martha <laughs> at the top of the list. <laughs> Your turn, Ben. Um... Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Susanna Wesley. Oh, number one for, for sure. Probably Who's that? The mother that of mother of the Methodist movement and mm-hmm. our, our and the Wesleyan movement. Um, Leslie Nope for sure is up mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mulan, I mean, just uh, a pioneer <laughs> yeah. of women. <laughs> that is, women I'm upset history. I didn't think of Mulan. <laughs> uh, Ariel, I mean, just oh yeah, she had I mean, terrible taste in men, and her priorities were way off. But I mean. Mm-hmm. I have red hair. She can so sing. Yeah, she's got a voice. She didn't sell it to be with a man. Mm-hmm. Don't don't, oh, don't Ari- give your gifts over. Ariel over the girl from Brave. You know, if you'd let me keep going, <clears throat> I don't know her name. That's the problem. I don't think I've seen. Brave. It's Merida. Oh, Merida. that's a great name. Yeah. It is a good it's movie. A good it's a good movie. You should watch it. Should I? Yeah, I think the kids will like it. She probably is it too scary? 
No, it's uh, a kids movie. It's a kids movie, but Ben would be scared, but it his kids would probably like, be fine. I uh, yeah. I get scared easily <laughs> for sure. Um, probably Arya Stark. Mm, yes. There. Um, Daughter of Tony that. Stark. Uh, yep. Ned. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I can keep going if you want. No, no, no. Please stop. <laughs> Jaina, Jaina has to bring He's just listing it off random names. Rapunzel is up, I mean, she's top in the history of women. Oh my really, really good. I mean, Cinderella, she's okay. I, I feel bad for her. She got thrown in a situation that just super difficult. It's tough family life. Super, super difficult. Snow White. Please stop him, Jaina. Seven friends. This is like in that episode seven of The friends. Office where, where they- I had seven friends. <laughs> I, I don't. Where this they jump in and they say, why Pam. don't you stop Meredith? This Pam. is that yeah. moment yeah. right Pam. now. Pam Beasley, thank you for bringing that up. I mean, she just, someone who was oppressed her whole life in a really, really negative relationship and then realized her giftings um, and just stepped up and basically oh ran the office. She, she really did. But. Oh, she did great. She did good things. Good things. Carol Baskins, probably something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jaina, please no save us. Him. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I would say, I just have one. I'm just going to give one name. The Queen. Beyonce? <laughs> no. Queen Bee? The Queen of England. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She is pretty cool. But... Yeah. That's it, you know her perfectly. I almost said Jan Levinson Gould, but oh, that you threw in the office, and I was like, well, took that joke away. And it's just Jan Levinson. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. No, no Gould. No Gould anymore. Divorced. Whoops. Yeah. Now we got to dive into the actual topic. This was all a joke, by the yeah. way. Not really. Leslie Nope is legitimately one of my favorites. I do some love of some of those women really good we talked about, it. especially the ones in my family. The queen is pretty cool. But yeah, she's all right. Anyways, so we are going on to the topic, which is women in ministry. What? Yeah. That's a thing? How so we talk about that? Like, like always, we use a terrible mixer question to somehow... It connected. Halfway connect to our topic... <laughs> And the topic today, we're going to break it into two parts. We always like to divide it, get a good outline going. And the first part is really just some of the arguments against the women in in ministry kind of role. And we're going to define that even a little bit more as it's more of an argument against women in really senior leadership, pastoral, teaching, biblically elder roles. So when people will read these certain texts, which we're going to walk through, they'll come to the assumption that because of the gender of the person being a woman, they're disqualified from certain positions or that those positions are reserved for men only. So Ben's going to start us and he's going to read 1 Timothy 2 for you. Yeah, which is, this is one of the main arguments, one of the main scriptures pointed to in um, talking about being against women in senior leadership in ministry and in teaching capacity. It says in verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Mm. So there's that text for you. And from that, we'll give Jaina, she's going to go read the next text for you. But in all of these, it's really just what happens is it's a very literal interpretation of what the Bible says is still being applied to, to roles today. So when someone would read that First Timothy 2, They'd see Paul telling these women to be quiet and learn in submission and not to speak up in certain ways. And he's arguing it because of um, Genesis text and the fall of man. And what he would say is probably more accurately titled the fall of woman first. But And then they're going to take that and continue to literally apply it today. So, Jaina, we'll read the second one, which is... Yeah, so 
<clears throat> I'm not going to read it, but 1 Timothy yeah. 3 and <laughs> Titus 1 um, both have these lists of kind of like qualifications for overseers and deacons and leaders in the church that Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Yep. yep. Gives. Uh, second guess myself for a second. Um, that get, he's given to the church um, for what these leaders, deacons, should do. Um, and the reason that people use this as an argument against women in ministry is that all the language in this is masculine. So they use he, um, even in some of the qualifications, talking about you know being the husband of one wife. Um, and so people read that and say, okay, well, that implies that the leaders can only be male. Mm-hmm. And the last one we're going to bring to you, and there might be some other like peripheral ones that we're not directly hitting on, but we really just wanted to bring you the first three main ones that we've heard and that we've heard people articulate and argue for. So the last one is 1 Corinthians 14, and it's verse 34 and 35. And it says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Amen. And those are Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and those are Paul's words to the church in Corinth. And and after we've read those, oh, you can kind of go read them yourselves because we just straight summarized or really straight read those texts. We didn't change any of that. That's what the yeah. text says. And we believe in a very high view of the Bible. That is the word of God. It is absolutely 100% something we believe and affirm. Yet, we would not fall under these teachings of Paul in in a way that we think goes, and Ben's going to give even more clarity to this when he finally recovers from his laughing. I'm sorry. (laughs) So distracting. You were doing so good, Brendan. I was trying but, I lost it. So those texts are in the Bible. They are something Paul wrote, something Paul taught, and churches today still still follow those rules yep. Paul's given. Mm-hmm. So Ben, why as a Wesleyan church do we believe in these women in ministry roles, even to the women being a senior pastor or leading a church or sitting on boards or different things like this? Why, yeah. do, why do we affirm that if no, Paul so, so openly writes against it? Yeah, so we'll go through those three specific scriptures. I'll do it yeah. real quick. I'm mainly actually going to go through First Timothy 2 and First Corinthians 14. Um, and it's not just Wesleyan denominations. Yeah, right? yeah, there, yeah, there's battles yeah. throughout all denominations in the United States that have differing views in this, and it's... Um, there's a spectrum of how people interpret these scriptures, but also how they approach allowing women to be uh, in ministry. And so with the First Timothy 2 text, this idea of not having authority over man and not teaching, many ter- churches interpret this as prohibiting women from serving in the office of senior pastor. And one of the main problems with that is there was no role or title of specific senior pastor mm-hmm. in the New Testament, sorry, senior. in the New Testament church. <laughs> yeah. So what we have in our local church, in our context, and in our culture is there's senior pastors, there's executive and associate pastors. Mm-hmm. I may call it a young adult pastor. Jana is a worship pastor. Brennan, um, we have a youth pastor. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> have no official title. <laughs> He's resident. Um, there are missionaries, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's kids pastors, and we have these specific... Um, I was going to say sex, and that's terrible. Uh, but these specific ministries where there are authoritative roles. And in those churches that interpret the scripture as this saying towards no senior leadership, they're okay with putting a woman in ministry some over kids yeah. and youth. That's true. Yes, some of them. Um, I said the majority that I would, uh, the majority of conversations I've had with people. Yeah, there yes, are some churches that, that, that would say sure in no none. positions. No, you're but, right yeah. on. Yep. Um, are okay with putting women in ministry over youth, over kids in worship ministry. Uh, 
yeah, the problem office of senior pastor didn't exist in the day. And in the Jewish context of where Paul was writing to, and um, even in the Greek context, the reality is that when boys turned 13, they were considered a man. And so it wasn't saying over specific men, it's saying over a man, not a woman should have authority over a man. And so if we were to literally interpret the scripture, we should then say for all churches, if I'm saying women can't be in senior leadership, they also mm-hmm. shouldn't be able to be in youth mm-hmm. ministry. Yeah. Because if you're a man at age of 13 in this context, mm-hmm. that's not okay. Also, just before Paul uh, writes that women should refrain from teaching or having authority over man, he also forbids them from braiding their hair wearing jewelry, wearing expensive clothes. Um, and to this day, even in the churches who take this interpretation of no women in senior leadership, they don't force that rule, mm-hmm. which to me is a problem. There's mm-hmm. an issue with how you go about um, not just interpreting the scripture, but following the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I think what we do is we assume and should assume, this is what the Wesleyans do, that something was going on in the culture of this time Um, specifically in Ephesus, where Timothy was the senior pastor, that made it wrong for Christian women in that context to braid their hair um, because culture braided hair back then was considered seductive and was usually associated with prostitution. That's not the case in our context. And so I think it's okay to take culturally relative realities Mm -hmm. um, and be careful about what we make eternal truths. So with Timothy, it's, okay, if we're going to follow that literally, it's not only should we... Make sure that women aren't authority over men or teaching men, but also they can't have braided hair, mm-hmm. can't wear jewelry, and that's just not our culture or context. Mm-hmm. And then the First Corinthians 14 text, um, <clears throat> Paul says a woman should remain silent in the church. It's disgraceful for her to even talk. And then even if she has questions during the service, that they need to ask their husbands afterwards. So if we're interpreting these verses literally and applying them even consistently, women shouldn't teach or have authority. They should also not be allowed to ask questions or speak in the church, um, which, again, is something that we don't do. And other churches who interpret these scriptures as women shouldn't have authority over men or teach in the church, mm-hmm. they allow them to pray and prophesy. And even earlier in the letter, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says that when a woman prays or prophesies in church, she should have a veil on her head. So it's 14 is saying, don't talk in church. If they have a question, raise their hand. But 11 says, well, they pray and prophesy in church. Okay, so why is that? Yeah. Why is there discrepancies? Mm-hmm. There? So is the Bible contradicting itself? No. In 1 Corinthians 14, what is happening is Paul is literally addressing re- and reestablishing order in a worship service. It's not to demean women. It's recognizing that in the Corinthian church, there are people who are disrupting the service, which is pushing back against whoever's teaching or preaching, but also are disrupting uh, not just, yeah, what is happening in the service, but also the gospel and pushing back against the reality and truths of the gospel. And it usually, or it was for this church in Corinth, was women at that time, mm-hmm. is they were disrupting the service, asking questions, pushing back, which that in and of itself isn't bad. Mm-hmm. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, he's reestablishing order in worship. Um, because in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, it's okay to pray and prophesy. So it's okay for women to speak in church. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before you, I know you got a, a couple more points you want to cover, um, especially for the First Timothy 2 one. But how, how do people go and find this context? You know, because yeah. we're reading the scripture and it doesn't say there like, hey, this is everything that was going on in the First Corinthians or in the church, yeah. uh, this letter. So how are people supposed to know the behind-the-scenes stuff yeah. to get some of these answers because most people, when they read that, would have no idea what Paul's addressing right. because they mm-hmm. don't they don't know that context. Yeah, this is why we have commentaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I'd like I would argue that every believer, if I mean, if you really, I don't know about should, 
one, you should have a Bible <laughs> so you can read it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but I have an are, iPhone, so why would I need a Bible? <laughs> um, there are really, really good commentaries from multiple per- perspectives and spectrums mm-hmm. that you can get. So what's a commentary that you guys have that yeah. you use? I really like the NIV Tyndall stuff. I mean, the Tyndall or the Life Application stuff. Uh, that's I think that one's by... Um, Zondervan is one that I've done. Who's a Bible publisher company? They do a lot of other publishing stuff, but yeah, yeah, the Tyndall one has worked great for me, especially when preaching and kind of finding some of that. Or the IVP, which is the Bible background commentary, which is literally all just background context for verses. And if I'm ever going to preach anything from the New Testament, like I will always go read his commentary on that because I want to know the background of the context he's speaking to. Like, what is the cultural setting in which he's speaking? But yeah, the commentaries is a great answer. Those are good. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. go to our website, the Westland, Westland Church website. Like yeah. these are the things that we follow from our doctrine mm. and our theology. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we go there. Now, other denominations have different doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is, and, and those it's not bad. And I'm getting into something that probably isn't necessary to get into. Um, but this is, yeah, what we're saying and what we're talking about today. This is why we believe women should be in ministry and how we interpret those scriptures looking at the context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So I cut you off, but... Really, if the summary, some, some is summary. That's, the summarizations is, is the summary of everything you just said is most of that is so context based that you use the word like a literal interpretation across the time period that we've done. So you've said eternal truth, which is where we're advocating this isn't really an eternal truth, not in our eyes. It's something that Paul wrote to a specific mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. to a specific people group to give them specific instructions on how that all should work. Correct. Now, when we take that and apply it to our context directly without recognizing that Paul wrote this as a letter to them, we, we've kind of, we get the, the ideas back where, um, where we won't, won't let women serve in certain roles because we're still applying that, even though we're articulating that's not necessarily what churches are even doing if they apply half of it, but what we're not doing at all because we think Paul wouldn't say those same things to us today. Yeah, if you were to write the same letter to... Uh, Brookings. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think he would write different things. Oh, yeah. He probably puts some, yeah, yeah. He, would, he would crush us on some stuff. Yeah. Um, this would be, in my opinion, not one of those. Mm. So then if you want to go real quick, recap, just, and he doesn't have to do it real quick, but the first Timothy 2 stuff, because I know you got all the order of creation yeah. to walk through. So, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. If we're going to take a literal interpretation of the first Timothy 2 text, then that means you should have to literally interpret all of it. Mm-hmm. So the idea of not allowing women to be an authority over man uh, and teach in public, then you, if you follow that, you also need to follow women not being able to wear braids, wear jewelry, um, which is not being followed. Uh, and then, yeah, with that, another how can I say this? Not excuse, but reason that Paul gives and another reason that is a rebuttal for women against ministry is this order idea of order of creation or gender roles Mm -hmm. and specific gender roles. And they go to the Genesis one and two texts, which Paul says here in first Timothy two, he explains this is why there's an order. Um, But when you go back to the Genesis one text and the Genesis two text, Genesis one in and of itself, I think, is poetry mm-hmm. written to set up Genesis 2. So it's 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 a creation story written to whoever is going to read Genesis saying this is, whoever is God. This is what we know about any god. This is what we know about a god. He's a creator. 
There's powerful enough just to be able to create through words. He created all things, included including humanity. And then Moses in Genesis 2 sets up, okay, what you just read in Genesis 1 about God, we believe is Yahweh. And then he goes in Genesis 2 and explains us. And so when when in Genesis 1, when the word Adam is used, literally means it's a human person. It's It's made in God's very own image. And this creation in God's image includes an identification of persons as both male and female. There's no separation. It's mutual. There's a mutuality of women and men. Uh, it carries no suggestion of male headship or yeah, female. In the original language. In the original yeah. language, in the Hebrew language, mm-hmm. Adam literally means human person. Mm-hmm. So there's no context for male leadership over female submission or and then with female submission. Um, that comes into play in Genesis 2 verse 23 and says <clears throat> the man he, he changes the word man the hebrew word now is not adam it's it's, it's ish literally it sounds ish it's like a, a word my daughter would say to me if she doesn't want to talk to me um ish and calls the bones of my bones flesh of my flesh flesh in genesis 2 is woman which is isha coming from the literally same root word and so the type of naming that occurs whether separation of male and female happens in genesis 2 uh and then indicates that how well what i just lost my oh uh i got it that male and female persons are equal indicated by a common designation of those words being used the hebrew words being used coming from the same root word um same common identity and then ultimately it's climax with the concept of mutual expression in one flesh language and literal sexual coming together and then genesis 2 this is the biggest argument against women in ministry or against gender roles and having gender roles of males being on above females and male leadership versus female submission mm-hmm. is this Hebrew word called Eitzer. And when it says God looked at man and noticed that he needed an appropriate helper. Mm-hmm. And that word is Eitzer. And here, this word is a Hebrew word that actually is a characteristic of God um, used for God in the Old Testament 29 times. And it helper doesn't mean submission. Helper in this context and what this word literally means is like a missionary ally coming alongside, mm-hmm. helping you go and defeat the enemy in front of you. So the word helper <clears throat> shouldn't be understood in that word associated to women should be uh, understood in expression of submission and service to man. Rather the woman as helper serves God with man together equally. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I don't like the argument that women shouldn't be in ministry because there's male leadership and female submission taken from the Genesis two text because the Hebrew word there doesn't mm-hmm. indicate that at all. So why do you think Paul uses it in first That's, Timothy? I two? don't know. I really, again, I yeah. think, I think he's trying to give Timothy who's a young leader, an opportunity to speak into, I think he's trying to give him, I don't know if it's authoritative permission to to speak back against the church and what's happening in the church. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do some sort of helping. And in the first Timothy two text there, and even in when Paul writes to the Corinthians church, it was abnormal for women to learn anything. Mm-hmm. And so what, what they would have noticed in reading these letters and reading these words from Paul and what Timothy would have noticed, not that they wouldn't have been hung up on women shouldn't be over authority over man or teach in public. They would have been hung up on the reality that women could even learn because mm. that wasn't something that was normal. In yeah. That's context. good. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to school. No. Yeah. All that stuff. So now we're, we're, we're past the, the specific text we talked about because what we wanted to do is we wanted to set up, Hey, this is what kind of gets used to talk about why people in ministry, why women in ministry shouldn't be a thing, and then kind of rebuttal that, which is what Ben just did. But there also is a whole slew of different stuff that we're going to pull from the Bible and give to you now, which we're going to affirm women in ministry because we see it in different contexts besides just those three sets of text. 
So Jaina is going to take this first one, and really it's all about Jesus' teaching and what he taught, and also who followed him in his earthly ministry. Yeah. So we know that Jesus had um, 12 disciples, are the ones that we often associate. Mm-hmm. All as, men, right? All men associate as, as having traveled with Jesus. But what a lot of people don't realize is that he had like 70 other people that frequently went with him, and then hundreds of other people that just followed as he went. Mm-hmm. Um, and among those were a lot of women. Um, and even how he interacted um, with women throughout his ministry was very redemptive and restorative. So like one primary example is found in Luke 10 with Mary and Martha. Um, these women that Jesus and his disciples go, um, they're at a house, they're sitting down to have dinner, and and um, I always mix up the sister's name, so I'm going to double check. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Martha, she kind of you know, jumps into that stereotypical like gender norm for a woman in that time. She's running around the house. She's getting stuff done, making mm-hmm. the food, being hospitable. Hospitable, and Mary's like, "I'm gonna go sit with Jesus." And this would have been very culturally like, like taboo, because um, Jesus, the teacher, is sitting with his disciples, and Mary comes and joins them. And like, Jesus says, like. He rebukes Martha when she is like, why is my sister not helping me? Like, mm-hmm. she's not fulfilling the duty she's Yo, supposed to be. I am cutting be. all of these vegetables, <laughs> and Mary's yeah. just sitting here. Yeah, like, come on, she's not helping. I feel like I've had that conversation with my sister <laughs> a couple times. But um, but Jesus is, like, Mary takes the position of a disciple, um, and, and Jesus gives honor in that, says, no, she can stay and learn, and this is good. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, there's like countless other examples of how Jesus just empowers women. Um, the woman in Matthew 26 who comes to Jesus and um, pours her most expensive perfume onto Jesus's head, like that would have been again culturally taboo. This was a that was like all the money she had. That's yeah, the wealth she seriously. had. She just in a, in a sense, and what everyone thought is like she wasted that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus says, "No, this is good um, that she's that she's done this and that she's honoring me in this way." Um, and, and in that, she kind of has the authority, and she ha- she gets to prepare Jesus for her burial, and that's what yeah. he says. And like, mm-hmm. what an honor for her to be able to to do that to Jesus. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and then I guess one final one. Then Luke eight, like uh, women gave Jesus financial support. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, for women to even have financial means to support anyone was probably very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to be the ones who supported Jesus in his mission as he traveled. Um, was pretty significant. Um, I don't know any other ones. Um, yeah, so I, there's probably there's another ton. one or two that I'll I'll tag in there. Ben likes this one oh, I know because yeah. I'm, I'm getting the eye contact. But Pontius Pilate's wife in Matthew yep. 27 comes and she's the only one to defend Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Yep. Nobody else <laughs> is willing to step up to say anything. But her in this role that's supposed to be submissive, that's supposed to not say anything, comes to her husband, the ruler who's making this final decision, and says, what you're going to do is wrong. You need to release this man. <clears throat> and she's the only yeah. one to say anything. And that's just mm-hmm. incredible that this woman has this power and this authority to come and to speak to her husband in this way. And he doesn't listen, right. which... That's probably a whole nother conversation, but <laughs> yeah. And then, and Matt, then yeah. oh yeah, keep going. I was gonna say the most important one that I forgot. Oh, yeah. The first people that Jesus revealed himself to after, like when he was resurrected, was two mm-hmm. women. Yeah. And not even that, but then they were the first ones to preach of the gospel of the resurrection as they went back and told the disciples, yeah. like he didn't choose men to give the first sermon. Mm-hmm. He chose two women. I yeah. Think that's pretty significant. Dang, which is crazy. No, it's not. It's biblical. It's biblical, but it's crazy. It's just mind blowing. <laughs> So then beyond just Jesus' teaching, so Jesus lives on earth, he does his ministry for three years, he he dies, he resurrects, he has the women tell the story, 
Then beyond that, even into Acts, which is the story of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles, into Romans, the letter of Paul's, we have other examples of where Jesus, or where, where the church is affirming women in these different kind of ministry roles. So the first one is in the Pentecost, which is uh, the upper room in Acts 1, 12 through 14. It says in that upper room, there were both men and women. And that's where the Holy Spirit is first poured out onto people. I mean, Jesus has ascended and he says, I'm going to send you that helper. And he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, and it comes both to men and to women. Prophesied from Joel. Oh, yeah. In Acts 2, men and women are receiving this Holy Spirit, and men and women are promised to speak in prophecy, Mm -hmm. to do all these things, to to have the same power. So it's revolutionary to the people listening or reading this text or experiencing that for the first time, that God is giving his presence, his spirit, his power to both genders, to both people in those scenarios, and he's telling them, you'll both do the same things. You'll both be able to have the powers of the Holy Spirit, which... Otherwise, in Acts 16, <clears throat> you have the entire story of how the Philippian church was formed, which if you read through Paul's letters, he writes the letter to the Philippians, and it's formed around these women meeting at the river. He went to Philippi, and he knew that there wasn't really a synagogue there. There wasn't a place where people were already learning about the Jewish faith. So rather, this group of women had been meeting down by the river, and that's where they'd had been, been practicing their religion. So Paul shows up and he goes down to these women at the river and he starts to preach to them like he would in the synagogue that he usually would travel to. And when he's preaching to them, he has these interactions with different people, but one specifically is Lydia. He has this interaction with her and then he has an interaction with a, a slave girl. But Lydia, he, he, he baptizes them and he preaches to them and he tells them about Jesus and then he forms the church of Philippi in her home. Yep. So Lydia becomes one of the, the key members in this church in Philippi, which he later writes the letter to. And, and really during that time, when a church was formed in your home, for it to occur in your living room kind of gave you a pastoral role in that time. Mm-hmm. You were one of the shepherds of that community because it was occurring in your context, in your living room. So Lydia was one of the pastors of this church in Philippi, we believe, and that is just an incredible story. You go on in Acts 18, 26, and you have the stories of Priscilla and Aquila and how their marriage was working to help Paul spread the gospel. So this woman who, as she's married to her husband, is encouraging Paul. And then in, in uh, 20, Acts 21, 8 and 9, again, it's the gift of prophecy playing out where women are prophesying in the same way men were able to. The last one I have is really just the Romans as Paul's concluding his letter to the Romans. He has this, this awesome thing Paul does where he just like shouts people out. Like, I want so bad when I get to heaven to be in one of Paul's shout outs, where it's just like, you know what? I, I love that Brennan did this. But that's what he does at the end of Romans. It's Romans 16, and he just writes all these people, and he says, say hello to these people because they have served me or they're doing incredible things. And in that list, he puts first off Phoebe. Phoebe is the very first person, Romans 16, 1, and he calls her a deacon, which when you look at the Greek, which Paul's writing at, can mean a couple different things, because many of us today think deacon means this position of elder in the church, which again, that totally could be and would be an incredible argument for women in ministry. But even if it doesn't mean that, and it means servant, which it sometimes can translate to from Greek to English, that still, he, he recognized her as an important, prominent member of the church she's serving at. And even if she's not an elder there, she's an important, it's visible... It's an authoritative title exactly. in the church. Yeah, so then... Mm-hmm. That's Phoebe and then Junia, who's, again, someone that ministered to Paul, supported Paul, helped Paul in his journey, and a woman. And it's just incredible that time and time again, through Jesus's life, through Paul's letters to the early church, you see these women coming into these roles where they're equipping people to know Jesus. And a lot of, and sometimes you're seeing them in 
official roles, not necessarily leadership or senior pastor roles, but sometimes yeah. they're in official roles, and it's just so cool. I can't even, I'm just mind blown. It's crazy, but it's crazy awesome, as Ben would correct. It's legit. The last thing. Um, I oh, think, well, just oh. even to get it, like, so we, we just laid out scriptural evidence yeah. in my mind mm-hmm. for being pro-women having authority over followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Men, women, children, it doesn't matter. So, like, we talked about two passages of scripture that initially seemed to prohibit women in ministry, but I don't see them being as nearly as, like, uh, clear yeah. in light mm-hmm. of all of the other counterexamples we just yeah. gave throughout the Bible. And so if women, uh, which... Uh, yeah, by divine ordination and design, if they are forbidden to speak in church or teach or have authority over men in any capacity or any circumstances, then my argument, why are there so many examples of women who served in positions mm-hmm. of authority in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Like, I think you have to wrestle with that question. Um, yeah. And I think it's a good question to wrestle with, which is mm-hmm. why we would say, well, because they've had authority in New Testament, they probably should have authority now. Mm-hmm. Well, and we yeah. didn't even get into like any church history. No church history. And they're, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, there's good. so much good There's stuff. a ton. Entire the, monasteries led by women. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was really quick last night. I pulled out one of the Wesley, Wesleyan little handbooks that talks about like defense for women in ministry. And one of the final things it says is that we believe in the possibility of women in every position in the church because we recognize that God has called women in the past and still is calling women today. And I was mm. like, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, as a as a not even Western church, but I think <clears throat> for me, even as a follower of Jesus, yeah, it's we affirm in the church that no person who's been called or gifted by God should be denied any role of ministry because of gender. Mm-hmm. It's literally it's literally because of gifting. And as Brennan, I think beautifully laid out, the reality is the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people, all people, men, women, sons, and daughters, mm-hmm. young and old. Yeah. Where we want to finish this is the fact that as a Western church, we're doing this perfectly, right? <laughs> right, no. we are equipping women. We're putting women in pastoral roles. They're equal representation, Listen, right? We have no. we have two licensed pastors that are women on this church. One ordained, yeah, one ordained, ordained. Yeah. one ordained, one licensed. Awesome. Dang. Give okay, it a year I'm being and a, a year and a half. Well, two ordained. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic because there are some things we still want to point out at the end because we don't want to have this conversation and then say, "Yeah, we're doing great." No, there's places yeah. we want to improve and do better to in- continue to equip women in ministry. And Jaina just has some awesome examples of where she's just going to push into some of this idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even though the Wesleyan Church was one of the first, well, starting with the Methodist Church, denominations to affirm women in ministry and put them in, we still have some of the lowest numbers of like percentages of like male senior leadership versus uh, female senior leadership. And mm-hmm. I should have brought my notes with For me. Wesleyan, I have it written yeah. down in my notebook. Um, like it's like 20% yeah. are like female uh, leaders and of that 20%, a significant amount is co-leading with their spouse. Mm. But anyway, um, but I think part of the reason that, that this is hard is, is not that people are gatekeeping for women in ministry, but a lack of representation. Mm. Um, so even like for myself, I didn't grow up in the Wesleyan church. My family is Wesleyan, so I was familiar with it. I went to a non-denominational church. Um, so no one had ever told me that women can't preach, but I had never heard a woman preach. I'd never seen a woman, a woman in a like significant position in the church until I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I heard Christine Kane preach at the Passion Conference. That was the first time I ever heard a, heard a woman preach. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't that I inherently thought a woman can't do this, but I just hadn't seen it represented mm-hmm. to me um, to even see it as a possibility. And I think even, I mean, even in churches today, like, I mean, prior to me coming here, Grace Point hadn't had a female 
like person in a pastoral role mm. ever. And so even I think of like, I've seen even in the three years that I've been here, a little bit of change, even with our youth kids of like realizing like, oh, like we have a mm. female leader and like, how does that change how I interact and whatnot? And so I think that's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um and so one of the things that we can do as the the church and both church leaders, church staff, but also just as people who are part of the church, yeah. congregation members, is just encouraging um, your female pastors, encourage them in their call, stand behind them, affirm them, um, but then also be encouraging of other women who are receiving a call to ministry. Mm-hmm. Because I think even as I have conversations with different college-age women, I'm like, I think that God mm. would use you in mighty ways in ministry, yeah. but they're not even considering it mm. because they um, think it's an option. Yeah, because they don't think it's an option. Yep. We and had a conversation with a leader. Yeah, last, like, and that was awesome to be able to say, "No, this is actually an option for you." Yeah, you like know? this is legitimate. So, um, yeah, and then I think one last one, and I don't. Maybe this should come from one of the two I of you, but go for it. Yeah, uh, I think a, a lot of issue that we have in the church today, especially um, in America and Upper Midwest, South Dakota, is I think an issue is that men don't want to learn from women. Ooh, and that's yeah. a and that's a problem. You're gonna like, you're gonna poke some bears I, with that one. <laughs> I mean like I even yeah. if I think about it, like I actually have to unfortunately <clears throat> I have to think about okay, how would I do in serving underneath a woman who was a senior pastor? Mm. And could I? And like the fact that I even have to think about it is a problem. Mm. And that's a prejudice in of myself that I don't think a woman either there's something in me that doesn't think or at one point didn't think a woman could be a senior pastor and leader and teacher and, and shepherd of, of the people. It's like there's something inherently, I think, in us men that think we can't learn from women, and that's garbage. Mm-hmm. And that is garbage. And it's and so what happens then is that we've oppressed, literally, mm-hmm. oppressed women in the church from having those roles. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. So I think it's men need to change. Yeah. Like how can we actually just recognize and know that, it again, it doesn't matter about gender. Mm-hmm. What matters is the gifting. If the gifting's there, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's receive. And maybe part of that problem is the lack of representation. Yeah. If you haven't seen it done well. Super yeah, good. so much of it is like, unconscious where it's like, mm-hmm. yep. like you said, nobody straight out told you a woman could yeah. be a pastor. But if you never see it, yep. you're mm-hmm. like, oh, what? Like, what is that person doing? They couldn't be like that. You just subconsciously start to believe what you're seeing consistently. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in. This was a podcast that we really <laughs> wanted to talk about because Let's go. the next episode, <laughs> Let's if you went one go. up from this, will be Jaina preaching in our part three of our yeah, Mosaic yeah. series. Let's go, so it might not drop. It's going to drop till like the next Monday, so you have to wait a week. But it's going to be awesome. She's going to crush it, and we're so excited for her to to step into that teaching yep. role for the first time this semester yeah. and, and really lead our people well because she does an incredible job, one, in worship, but she can teach, Amen. and we're Thanks. excited about it. So, <laughs> Uh, otherwise, if you guys have further questions, hit us up. You can always yeah. catch us on Instagram, Facebook, our emails, which are on the church website. Or uh, if you really know us, just text us. We Brennan, love you. Brennan's address is... <laughs> <laughs> we like love and you. subscribe. <laughs> and we will see you next week. See you guys. Bye.